This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. It's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, I want to be clear. I have an African-American who has relocated to Kenya to do some venture capital. His name is... Dr. Wilmot Allen. Wilmot Allen. Yes. And his company name is Venture Lift Africa. That's dramatic pause, uh, Wilmot. You know, that's what we do. <laughs> here in Florida. Um, yeah. Anything can happen. So, Wilmot, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm good. I'm good. You know, I was like, man, he's really young to have a senior moment. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, gray hairs in here. I definitely, so, you know, it, it, it's all good, but we still feel real young and youthful, God willing. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk about, you know, just get into your story. What made sure. you relocate? to Kenya and start investing in Africa? Sure. So, I've been involved in the continent since. Uh, Yes, wow, just outside of my teenage years. So I came here uh, a while ago as a student. First footprints were on the soil of Zimbabwe in the city of Harare as an intern with a group of McKinsey Company consultants uh, helping turn around the uh, Kamesa, which is a common market for Eastern Southern Africa. Uh, they're uh, what's called a clearinghouse. So it's a fancy word to say they're trading system. And I have been enthralled since, but actually Kellen's story began way before that, a few years before that, I should say. I always say Africa came to me. I grew up in the Midwest, proud Midwesterner, Ohio. Uh, rest in peace, Joe Morgan, Cincinnati Red, great. I just heard about he died today. Um, and, you know, it was my experience with Zimbabweans, Botswanans, and others who were students at the University of Cincinnati where I grew up, who stayed with us, that I got exposed to Africa. So uh, that's why I say Africa sort of came to me. So I, yes, I read, I saw National Geographic and these, these other store, uh, uh, stories, but really it was the personal connection, sitting over dinner and hearing how they grew up, uh, what their childhood was like, what their families are doing, how they came to America, what they're studying, how they saw the world, our president, our, our political system, uh, their perspectives on African-Americans. That's always an that was always an interesting conversation. And so that's how I got first connected, literally, to Africa. And then, as a result of that interest and in me just really wanting to get back in touch with my ancestral home and ancestral roots, looked to work in Africa. And so that took me to that first internship. And then over the last 15 to 20 years, I just kept coming back. And then I moved here um, and lived in various places, uh, Ni uh, Nigeria, Southern Africa, but moved to Nairobi where I live, planted a tent here in 2015 to take a job. It was running USAIDs and DAIs and the firm called Cross Boundary, their East Africa Trade and Investment Hub uh, initiative for which uh, the company was a subcontractor. And they hired me to be the director of East Africa. And I have remained a uh, new sense of mission, uh, started a company, joined a fund, <clears throat> and really pushing on some interesting things. And really for me, 
It's about being, um, I think, really committed and aligned with your sense of purpose. Uh, being here, there's, for, I think for most African-Americans would say this, I don't think this is controversial. There is spiritual, psycho-spiritual peace that you have in being reconnected. And on top of that, you can find real uh, passion and, and meaning in your work and be part of a sense of community, expanded community that you dreamed of being, being connected to. It is all good. So I'm very grateful. Wow. So it really all started from the Midwest. And, you know, you said a lot of big names. I mean, you said, you know, McKinsey, if you guys don't know, um, you know, they do business all over the world. And, and that's not like, how did you even get connected with there? Because, I mean, you have degrees from, you yeah, know, so you're right. Georgetown and all these places. So how did you get connected? So I was a student at Harvard at that time. And so, uh, like most students looking for summer internships, I uh, looked for uh, an opportunity. And this was at the Kennedy School of Government. And so wanted to do something impactful, wanted to do something outside of the U.S., could think of no better place than coming back to Africa. And uh, fortunately, it worked out. There were probably about four or five of us. And that trip, I'll tell you, let, let me tell you some more information, uh, which really uh, was exhilarating. I thought it was, I took it for granted at that time. But a family friend uh, who was a high-ranking uh, government official was in Harare, lived there. Uh, I'm sorry, was in Botswana, sorry and not in Zimbabwe, but we took a, I took a trip to uh, Botswana uh, to have a learning. And um, she hosted me and invited us down as a group, a group of interns to come to her home. We did a tour, but guess what? We had an extra special invitation. She connected us to President Mohai, who was the president at that time of Botswana. It was a dream of mine. She asked me, uh, so Madi is my nickname. Um, what would you like to do here in Botswana? And I said, you know, love to meet the president. Because, and here's the thing, what planted that seed in my mind and that um, interest was the first book that I read on Africa was a book called Democracy in Botswana. And so it talked about how democracy politically, institutionally was established upon are connected to this traditional way of governing, traditional institution uh, that evolved into a, a, a federal and a national institution in terms of how its influence, in terms of how, they, how it, um, the values and the mores that inform the way processes work, et cetera, et cetera. And so that put that in my head. So that, that's a lot of, of um, background <laughs> to say that I got hooked up to meet the president of Botswana and had just a great time during that summertime and have really felt um, a special connection outside of, you know, aspirational kinship ties and clothing and books, but a personal connection because of experiences like those. So one thing led to another and you guys, that just shows you just got to start and you only God knows where you'll end up. Now, you also said you took a job while being an East African partner, but you also have Venture Lift, which you were the founder of. So can you talk about how that works? Because a lot of entrepreneurs think that they'll only have one job when they do entrepreneurship, and sometimes it takes those partnerships. So how does that work for you? So, yeah, so just to get it accurate, so I was working as director of East Africa 
for a company, an American company. And one of the things that we did well was this. So our mandate was to facilitate what's called closed investment transaction, closed deals, getting the deal done, 50 uh, million a year. We did, in my two, two and a half years there, over 120 million, both for what was called the trade hub and independently. Uh, but one of the things that we didn't do so well, it was on my watch, and um, which is I, why I was so motivated to found a company which you're referring to about Venture Lift Africa, is that most of the companies we helped in terms of being partners in the deal were not local, they were not Africans, and they were not people of the diaspora. And I knew just growing up in the U.S. how much of a connection uh, African Americans continually want to make with Africa. I also knew being on the ground here how vital it was in terms of economic self-reliance for more Africans to own more companies and businesses that uh, are being funded. And so towards that goal, I founded Venture Lift Africa, which is devoted to that mission of connecting diaspora-owned businesses and partners and stakeholders to do commerce here in Africa and vice versa for two-way trade investment, um, so VentureLift uh, Africa is an advisory firm that has a marketplace, digital marketplace to connect various deal stakeholders. So if you are a business seeking for investment, we can connect you with an investor of three or four different categories, angel, VC, private equity, but also lenders and crowdfunders. And then if you are a company that wants to export either into Africa or from Africa into a region where the diaspora is, uh, we'll start with the U.S. We can help you with that. Tech transfer, uh, advisory, connecting um, really talented professionals who want to come back to the continent to work for opportunities. We also can assist with that. We issue reports, have podcasts, and other media for education, for information, and for motivation for more commerce to be facilitated. Because we see that as what I call structural adjustment. As you know, in America, primarily uh, African-Americans are consumers. We have purchasing power of over a trillion dollars nominally. Uh, but that hasn't translated into owning the means of production. In Africa, with um, uh, our you know, ancestral brothers and sisters, that can change because it's needed investment and that co-ownership, joint venture partnerships where there's equally uh, supported economic self-reliance is a win-win. And so that's what we are pointing towards. That's what our uh, mission is in our mandate at VentureLift Africa. And so we help companies come in, uh, really excited about a genomics company, really excited about food companies. And, and we help um, also take African companies into the U.S. to build great African brands. As you know, we met via a great conference that I was really privileged to have great partners, the Minority Business Development Agency Export Center, uh, Ms. Uh, Patricia Haynes and her team. We partnered around a, an event called the Diaspora Investment and Trade Deal Event. Just a couple weeks ago, phenomenal, nearly had a, a thousand attendees and it was about deals. So it wasn't just a talk shop. And out of that would come hundreds of investment and trade opportunities to now try to execute on. Uh, so that's a little bit about what we do. Uh, we're really excited about the fact that it's so timely, as you know, uh, not only because of what's happening in the U.S., but what's happening in the world. It seems like the stars have aligned. This is a zeitgeist moment. Uh, 
I really believe is just part of God's purpose. But, uh, you know, and I see it um, as being something now where we have opportunities, people of African descent, just and, and the diaspora is part of that, just as other diaspora. If you look at how the Chinese diaspora empowered China uh, to become a manufacturing hub, um, it, uh, how the Israeli and Jewish diaspora have empowered not only to establish the nation of Israel, but to make it a tech hub. Uh, similarly for India, becoming a tech hub. Uh, Ireland, uh, diaspora has played a tremendous role in the development of, of Ireland. And so it's not, it should not be seen as a threat, should not be seen as anything, but what it is, is sociology, economic so, sociology, whereby the diaspora can come here to the continent and with Africa begin to establish greater economic development, create wealth that's serving and helping not only Africa, but our hope is the rest of, of the diaspora and also to, even as important, to make a contribution to the world. Because when Africa is stronger, the world is stronger. No, definitely, definitely that. And we're all about investing in Africa now. Um, and, you know, I'm definitely going to put your company on the mall of Africa.Africa website, which is something I just had to get out of my head with all the people that we connect with so we can have it in one portal. I want to know, though, with, you know, uh, uh, Black Americans will hear this and say, oh, sounds good. Let me hit Wilmont up. Or some will say, maybe I don't have enough money. Maybe my company is not big enough. Before they contact you, what are some checklists? Do they need to have their pitch deck? Do they need to have their cap table? You know, what are the things that they need before reaching out um, and getting services? Yeah, I think it depends on what their expectation, what their expectation is, right? So they're looking to enter into Africa as, a, as an export-import partner, that's one thing. Then obviously, it's going to be very important to have an established business that's profitable uh, in the U.S. that has demonstrated um, that there's a customer market for the product or service. And then I think you have to think about is it product or service trade that you're primarily interested in? Africa <laughs> has 54 countries. So where in Africa are you targeting and do you understand that market? And here's the thing, do you, and this is just not um, a commercial for us, but do you have a local partner, a local intermediary that knows the local market or the regional market and even beyond? And then also counting the cost. Do you have enough money? Um, do you have a rough enough runway, if you will, to be able to begin engaging in business in Africa? The good thing about this time that we're in, it's a reset economically. A lot of people have more time than they realize by virtue of working from home or being at home more. And there are lots of great resources to self-educate um, and, and you know, really to cultivate an understanding of how to do business in Africa in its diversity. And that's really important, in its diversity. Um, by sector, by industry, by country market, by demographic profile, um, there is a lot of enthusiasm and interest around this um, Africa rising narrative, which is pitting its hope on the expansion of the middle class. But the reality is that the middle class in most countries is very, very much, uh, it's, a, it's a smaller demographic, but um, it's tenuous as well. Tenuous in the sense that, you know, when there are shocks to the economy, 
when there are pandemics and the healthcare systems can't really absorb um, and offer the proper response and the economies take months if not years to actually recover, that puts a dent in everything. We're seeing that everywhere across the world in places like, in sectors like tourism. Um, but you know, if you are looking to invest here, you have to really have done your diligence working with partners and others to really figure out what the impact certain shocks are, especially as we think about the impact of this pandemic. No, th that, is, that is awesome. Um, you know, and I'm thinking about right now, the person who says, you know, okay, I don't have a local partner. I'm sure VentureLift can help me. I have some capital. I'm not sure if it's enough. Maybe I have 50,000, but let's, let's just be honest for, you know, your average person and during this pandemic, they might say, look, I have $10,000. Can I make it in Africa? You know, I have 10,000 to invest into the business, solely into the business. Is there, I'm a plumber, I have my tools, or I have my trucks, I can get them there. Is 10,000 enough or do you need 50,000? Because I'm going to just be transparent. I've invested in small little things just in Mombasa alone. And I've doubled, you know, my money in sales, into beauty shops, buying wigs for uh, beauty shops. And so, and it didn't cost me a lot of money, but I, that I can double my money. And I'm trying to show how small investments, but VentureLift is dealing at a much bigger level, people. And so I just wanted to be clear. So, you know, people that need your help can get your help. And those who aren't ready yet say, let me, you know, level up. Well, look, I, let, let us be clear. So we work with variety of businesses and individuals, right? Uh, startups. Early stage companies, yes. Small, medium-sized enterprises that are growing, yes. Large corporates, yes. So it really runs a spectrum. Uh, what I would say is, you know, be smart. Um, understand your risk profile and your capacity for risk. If you only have $10,000, please don't bring it to Africa during this time. <laughs> no, seriously, just don't. Yeah, um, but it is the case. You're right. You can get into as an angel investor, certain deals for that level of investment. Uh, but it's not for the short term. So if you got a quick return, that's great. That's probably um, an aberration, right? Uh, in terms of investing in, in a startup, you have to really have, <clears throat> you know, um, a patient capital perspective as it were to be able to say, look, um, I understand this company needed C capital but I may not see my return for a few years when other investors come in, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think you have to be very, very realistic about that. But there are all sorts of ways, uh, I think, to invest. And there isn't, you know, um, there, there, is, there are opportunities that have, that require different risk profiles and different um, investment amounts. So I, I'm hesitant to say, in a really, really rigid way that if you have X amount of money, you can do Y. I think it depends upon a lot of different factors. But this is not the time to risk capital during this, this pandemic. Businesses are closing down. Families, you know, are, are really stressed. And so, uh, but what we're doing, and we've had a number of webinars, and, you know, we had this event in the midst of the pandemic, is preparing for this reset, identifying the opportunities, connecting the right partners at the table uh, so that, 
when you know when it is a better time to say, to, you know to say go the green light comes on we will be ready but there are some sectors like healthcare that are right now right that's very much right um and then there are others as i said like tourism uh that may not be but then there are some assets that are declining right now where you can come in and maybe acquire a company uh that is stressed especially if you have the cash resources and other resources and here it is the uh, technical expertise and understanding as to how you might grow that business based upon your experience in a different market and can find a local partner to help you you know that's a different opportunity set so uh, there is not one way to skin the cat there are a variety of different investment amounts that you can come into the continent with but i do think that you need to kind of educate yourself work with a local partner pay attention to what local populations and local businesses local entrepreneurs and local angel investors uh, are investing in um, and, uh, you know, take time to really, I think, understand how a lot of what's happening in the world is also affecting these frontier and emerging markets here. Okay. No, that, that's awesome. And I, and I just told my deal, not for you guys to try to replicate it. I really want to work out those, you know, angel deals and then go into the bigger deals all across Africa. I mean, we, we have things in Cameroon that we're doing, but um, for me, I do business with people that I like. And then I also, once I find that person, I it's a checks and balances thing. So it's not like I just sure. find somebody, you know, I found the, the, the lady who did my hair. She's opening a beauty shop. Hey, how can I help out? I have my goons and goblins go check it out that I've already done business with in music and yeah. They, they let it be known who they are and okay, this is a real deal. Um, and everybody, it's all, it's all good. And we all know we can, you know, send lawyers if we have an issue, but we don't call lawyers uh, when we're in Africa, but we yeah. do our, our checks and our balances. Now with what you're doing, um, mm -hmm. could somebody who does the telephone polls, when we brought 30 people to Kenya late last year, um, we had a guy, he does a lot of money in telephone polls. And he was like, if I could get connected, I could show them how to do their telephone polls um, properly. Is that something someone I should be sending to venture capital? Uh, to, well, let, let me say one thing. So that my, my company is Venture Lift, but we're I mean, not venture venture Lift, You know what I mean, but they want that venture capital. And they you know, want what I'm saying is we're, we're not a venture capital firm. I think that it's just word association. We um, actually connect uh, companies to venture capital, angel investors and private equity and are raising a fund, which I'll speak to now. And that is we're, we want to develop this angel investor network uh, for individuals who have anywhere from $10,000, maybe to $200,000 to, to invest. But in terms of what you said, I, I would have to really look at that because it sounds like it, you know, uh, something that would be funded by the government. That's always a risky endeavor in terms of when you'll be able to recoup your money. So that's a good example of an opportunity that may not be the opportunity you think just because you see it in the U.S. Here it may work differently. The economics of it may work differently. And so it's important to have that understanding before you actually commit to entering the market to take up that, that uh, enterprise. Okay. No, I get it. And, and, you know, with venture lift, venture capital, you guys know, you know, the, the dyslexia <laughs> is real amongst those who are, you know, geniuses, stable geniuses at, at that. But 
you know, you are the glue. You that's what people always tell me. They're like, you're the connector. So they just put you in one lump sum. But you are investing in Africa. I mean, just you're moving there and doing these deals is an investment. So being the, the glue, do you take a percentage of the company's, you know, revenue that you set up? Or is it that they're paying you kind of on a retainer basis as needed? Look, I think through our advisory firm, I think advisory firms have different models. Some of it is a combination maybe of equity and cash. Some of it may be pure retainer. Um, I think, you know, it's probably less desirable to work purely on a success fee basis. So it really does depend upon uh, not only the transaction amount, but how quickly the payment will come in. Um, and then if there's potential upside to that property or to that asset or to that company, and if it's if it's it has the opportunity uh, set such that you know the advisory firm can actually participate and continue to add value as maybe an equity shareholder. So it 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 def- definitely depends upon a number of factors. Okay, it, it depends. You guys like? Should I go dig in deeper and say? Get <laughs> I'm not revealing to you my trade secrets, Calvin. I'm not going <laughs> to tell you everything. Uh-huh. I'm not telling you everything. No, because well, actually- I'll get an email. You said that. No, well, it depends. Yeah, I said it depends. So, well, and I say that because you know we've talked off camera that a lot of folks are creating investor clubs, but they don't have experience with investment. And if they read off from Wilmot went to Yale, the Wharton School. Um, he, he might be friends with like some of the Trumps. We don't, we don't know. Um, he, he has degrees from Harvard, you know, Georgetown PhD, and he doesn't even make us call him doctor. So there is <laughs> going through the steps where, you know, some people are just, oh, I'm, this sounds like a good idea. And it's like, well, wait, do you have anyone on your team who's done this before? Because Venture Lift, you know, has that experience and has done the book work, which helps. Doesn't mean that you're foolproof, but it means you've gone through steps and you are like, you know, you're into banking. So you get this right. stuff. All right. So look, I, I think this. So first of all, thank you for the compliment. Uh, I do a lot of other things with the, with that training beyond just what, what we're talking about now. And I'm very grateful for, for, for those opportunities, but you don't need a PhD uh, to come and engage in Africa. This is why I tell people, uh, more important than your money is your disposition. And what do I mean by that? The disposition being this, if you come with the attitude of wanting to create and support, support's a better word, uh, a more prosperous Africa, I think that you uh, will come and find plenty of opportunities because people understand exploitation and partnership. And I think as diaspora folk, as uh, as the, you know, uh, the individuals now that have so much uh, indebtedness to our ancestors who paid a heavy price so that we would have the opportunity to do what we do today, have the liberty, the educational opportunities, the career opportunities. It does behoove us to engage with the rest of humanity, but in this case, specifically uh, the African continent uh, and our ancestral brothers and sisters, in a different way, in a way that's going to be more aligned with self-respect, with consideration, uh, with love, with 
uh, making sure that we support economic self-reliance here. And as I said before, a stronger Africa is better for the world. And you'll be surprised. A lot of people <laughs> come in with the wrong attitudes and don't get very far uh, because no one wants to be exploited. It's a new day. And no one here wants a white savior, nor do they want a black savior coming into the country. So, uh, and so or, or an Asian savior, really. Uh, so those are all complicated and complex conversations, I know. But suffice it to say, I think that when you come in and you find the right partners you want to help, you want to support and make money, all that is possible. Um, but I guarantee you, when you do arrive, when you do come, you understand why I'm, I'm using this phraseology about a more prosperous Africa. You and I take for granted right now the electricity we have to do what we're doing, uh, the water that we have to, to uh, groom ourselves and so forth and so on. Uh, but here it's not taken for granted. And so that reality, when it's your reality, gets you to see the world very differently. And so that, that's why I say that. Um, and I do think that, you know, there are now new partnerships where there is a, a new consciousness or uh, realization or philosophy or disposition to really want to see more Africans working with the diaspora that's here on the continent and just not coming from America or from the UK, but it's shared. Uh, maybe you can um, say that that was caused by some of the recent events over the last six months. Maybe it's just the, the evolution of sort of the Pan-African sort of uh, thinking of now baby boomers and Gen Xers and now millennials. I think each generation will reckon with that type of thing in its own way, but it's happening. It's happening. Well, you know what I think it is? The power of the internet and the prices of tickets going down, uh, you know, I remember when, you know, getting a $1,200 ticket from San Francisco direct to Johannesburg was like a deal. And now Secret Flying and Google Flights can beat that. And I've seen it as low as $550 during this pandemic. And so it, it's just, you know, it's that and showing the stories as, as well as showing the stories of people getting, you know, killed and beat up, but that, Americans now are even traveling more because I, I don't know what the current number is, but at one point, 70% of Americans did not have a passport. Now it's, you know, a little better, but it's still not great. But the world is a global village, as you know, all of our books will show us. With all the work that you're doing and the success that you're having, what is your community give back that you have not mentioned yet? that you are doing or that you want to do in the future? Oh, wow. And I talk about this a lot and it's something I'm very, very passionate about. And it's this. Um, you know, there's a saying in the business community, particularly in the impact community, that the future is female. Well, I would say that the present is female here on the continent uh, by virtue of the fact that there's so many talented women that are underserved. Uh, but when given the opportunity, you know, and institutions like the Crimean Foundation and others that have given money to women um, through microloans have the data actually to, to um, support this, that women are very good stewards. They're the custodian of values in households, as you know. Um, and that's not to say that 
men throughout the world don't need help or shouldn't be supported. Uh, those are not um, necessarily equivalent to say, yeah, that it's both and and not either or. Uh, but here it is, to answer your question, it's this. Um, it's something that I have a visceral sort of reaction to quite often. And that's this, if you go down to the coast of Kenya, even more so it's kind of coming inland now, you will see young girls, uh, teenage and even younger, exploited by men, typically foreigners um, who come in and exploit them, pay them a dollar, pay them three dollars to have sex. Oftentimes you'll see also, and I've read, I've read this and have been told this personally, so this is not you know, fantasy. Uh, families, a father will give away his daughter because of poverty. As a man, as a black person, as a human being, that touches me because we all know that God has more in store for every child than for that child to look forward to tourist season, tourist season, when they can go to the coast and get paid. Maybe it's just money they need for sanitary pads. So that is the project that I'm really, really uh, passionate about rectifying that wrong because it's wrong on so many levels. First of all, the people that are coming here, mostly foreigners traveling from the West, who in their own countries, if that were to happen, would be imprisoned, um, you know, kicked out of the country. And here it's like, okay, what happens in Africa stays in Africa, or that's just the Africans. Uh, but it's a, just a supreme double standard. There is an element of that in indigenous culture, but the fact that Western people are coming here and just co-opting that and using privilege to have access to 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 um, to to that to that predicament is really really disheartening to me as a man. And so, what I'm doing is, first of all, um, looking for ways to empower economically, because at the end of the day, you can preach, <laughs> you can advocate, but if you don't have the wherewithal to give people a viable option economically, uh, you're not going to be as effective. And yes, someone may say, well, there's some people who get so caught up, even if you gave them money, they still would probably go back to that lifestyle. Well, I'm not as concerned about that if they're just a few, and particularly the next generation. Because remember, this is the youngest region of the world, right? And there are a lot of people here that are young that have children. And so these babies are watching that. They're babies themselves, but the babies around the community are watching that. And, um, you know, understanding that, hey, is that the way I can get the material goods that I need or just the basic goods that I need is by engaging in such behavior. I think we have to uh, attack it, if you will, or address it on both the supply and demand side. Supply side is purely economics. On the demand side, I think that there are, there are some other things some groups are doing. I'm not going to talk about that here, but I think it's something that the global community should be outraged by. If we can get behind Me Too, <laughs> you know, which is largely... Uh, middle-class women uh, in Hollywood, rightfully so, uh, crying foul, rightfully so. And there is not only national, but international sentiment and support for that. Um, shame on us if we turn our eyes away from this situation where little girls are given away by their families, or, just, or even if it's not their families, that happens anyway by people who know better, who should do better and should be held accountable for such behavior. Because when people come to places like this, they enjoy safaris, but sometimes they mistake uh, females for being part of the safari for, for a sex tour. And we need to shut that down. 
um, as black people. We need to shut this, that down as a human community and realize this, you know, archeology, span uh, Keller's now telling us this is, you know, the cradle of humanity. So that's happening to Eve. That's happening to Eve's, you know, uh, the legacy of Eve. That, that's happening to her children. That's happening uh, on our watch. And we ought, we, we ought to do better than that. And I use that metaphor of Eve just to say, you know, that's happened. We're desecrating, if you will, um, our own heritage and our own humanity when we cannot respect that from which where we came as a global uh, human family and the people that are part of that heritage. So I feel very strongly about that. I think it will be addressed, but I think it's going to take a concerted, collaborative effort. And if you're watching, if this is touching a nerve in you, get in touch. I can put you in the right, uh, in touch with the right people that you can collaborate with to actually address this. Well, definitely. And is it um, on this end, us giving money or are there other things that we can do? Because I think, you know, technology wise, being able to capture these people in the moment, some things we've reported on with clients, you know, they've caught people with other people's children. And also we, uh, one of my clients did a story how a Mzungu was actually passing HIV throughout Kenya to these women, knowingly he had it. And, and that story was reported about two weeks ago. And I know it's not the first time because I've seen it in other headlines before, but is this something like places we can donate or do people need our, I've done investigations um, in the past in, a, in another life. And is it like using those skills to say, hey, let's put something on the books. Cause you're a foreigner. I'm a foreigner when I come there. I don't know if you're working on citizenship or residency or anything like that. But, you know, as a foreigner, you can't vote. You, you know, what can you do? Sometimes people ask. Yeah, for me, uh, it's fo focusing on creating jobs. We were trying to direct more investment into the coastal areas, into poor areas, into the slums even. So it's part of a larger um, issue that relates to economic disadvantage. And so that, that is, for me, the heart of the, heart of the matter. Um, and so my advice would be, hey, if you're coming into uh, places like this, and this is, we know, this is not the only place in the world. There are other places in Asia, Latin America, where you could say the same thing, but I'm here. And so, and my eyes are on this. Um, uh, but as you consider coming in, doing trade investment, consider uh, reaching back to serve, invest in, um, to trade with regions and people that are directly impacted by this type of a phenomenon because it really is an economic issue. Of course, there are different grassroots organizations, Kellen, that are doing different things where people can donate for advocacy, for awareness, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the, the best uh, solution is creating jobs and opportunities, giving access to education and giving economic options to this population of girls. Okay, no, that, that's awesome. And, and, I, and I love it, you know, and helping the women out um, I just have to throw this in the air. Wilmot is one of the most eligible bachelors. Oh my God. Nairobi right now. You know, you were talking about lights and water um, and, and, you know, I tell all of Africa that can afford it, get your water, you know, your big container so you can have your own water, get your solar power. So even here in America, we should be on that. So we're not so reliant on the government, but this is, this is good game 
to give. I don't want to give them a game overload. And I want to um, thank you, you know, for coming on and sharing this. If you have any links of any of the organizations outside of your own that can help, um, we can drop those in the description box. Because I know like Bonga out there, and I'm going to introduce you to Chow shortly after this via WhatsApp. She's a, a radio host, but she has Bonga. She's, she's a co-founder of that, helping with the mental health. Because I guess more and more Kenyan men are killing themselves and out of depression because they don't have anyone to talk to. But really what it is, Wilmot, I don't know if you've heard this story. I saw it on the news a year ago or two. And it, they were like, because we have to listen to our wives now. Because they couldn't beat their wives. Now they're frustrated. I said, what? I'm going to bring a whole busload of single men, eligible bachelors, all through Africa. <laughs> and with this, bride this, pride, this, of course. This is what I'll say. So I did two things. I put vlafrica.com, which is our site. So mm -hmm. register today. We're going to launch that after we get a critical mass of users on board to Marketplace. Uh, so we're excited about that. That should be in the next two or three weeks. But register. And then check out the conference, the deal event that we just had with the MBDA Export Center, uh, DITI, Diaspora Investment Trade Deal Event, DITI.com. It's in the chat. Uh, but one thing I'll say, as I said to you before we started this story, where I would like to end it from my conversation perspective anyway, is uh, Africa came to me in the U.S. And I'll say this to my fellow African-Americans. Um, you know, the diaspora is very diverse, even in, in America, uh, whether it's Jamaican or Haitian, um, you know, Ethiopian, Nigerian, uh, but get to know people in the diaspora in Africa, if you will, in America uh, first. Prioritize getting to know if you're a Black American, the Nigerian person that you go to school with, or the Ghanaian woman at your church, or uh, the Ethiopian person that you see at the restaurant all the time, the coffee shop that's drinking coffee like you, but you never speak to that person. Uh, those connections are vital because not only will they, as was my case, educate you about Africa, but there's a sub subtext around engaging, Af engaging with Africa for Black Americans is that we have to deal with some of the miseducation, misappropriation, uh, and misapplication of our history, of what we've been told, and how we have stewarded that uh, in terms of being recipients and consumers of media, et cetera, et cetera that have had negative impacts on how we are perceived and perceive Africa. And so that would be my invitation. It's not a challenge, but my invitation to you uh, who are listening, who want to engage Africa, start where you are. You don't have to jump onto Kenya Airways with a direct flight from uh, New York, from JFK to Nairobi to start. Start where you are, reaching out. There are lots of great chambers in the US, East Africa Chamber of Commerce in Texas, uh, there's one in Philadelphia, they're, they're all over in California, Chambers of Commerce, where there are American Africans can have the opportunity to connect with Black and with, with African Americans and create, you know, synergies, get to know each other, uh, rewrite narratives, uh, have some wounds healed as well, some misunderstanding by connecting in America first. And I guarantee you, you'll have a richer experience in Africa uh, if you want to travel to Accra, if you have interacted with someone from Ghana, uh, ancestrally recent immigrant in America, uh, who may be able to point you to deals, may be able to point you to, um, you know, a, an opportunity that you otherwise will not know about, uh, which you might have had to learn 
on the ground once you came. Because remember, most of the immigrant communities of African now are now approaching model immigrant status. Nigerians and Kenyans, people of means, of, of educational accomplishment. That we all should be proud of. That's a great testament, not only to, uh, you know, the, um, the skill and aptitude of black people worldwide, but to the American system that gives us, has given us all this opportunity, right? And so within that American system or wherever you are, particularly in America, we're talking about right now, uh, use, use the opportunity that we all buy into as a bridge building opportunity to get to know brothers and sisters from Africa before you come here. You'll be enriched by it, you'll be blessed by it, and you'll be able to kind of have a different perspective probably than what you have now on Africa. And here it is, vice versa, vice versa. So that, that's what I would like to say in the way of final comments and my final advice. End it where I started with a story, with personal connection. You can, if I could do it in Cincinnati, you can do it wherever you are uh, because the opportunity now with 2 million people who are um, immigrated from Africa in the last two generations or so are greater than they were 40 and 50 years ago. Well, I thank you for that. When you guys talk about Cincinnati, stop talking about Adrian <laughs> Brown. Start talking about Wilmot Allen. Dr. Wilmot Allen. And, you know, and, and put some respect on Cincinnati's name. Can't say the same thing about Indiana, sorry. But you guys like, share, subscribe. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.